I want to talk to you today about being a Christian, being part of the church 24-7. Don't just go to church, be the church. Amen? Be the church. In order to be the church, you have to be connected to Jesus between Monday and Saturday, not just on Sunday. See, there's people who are just goers. You know, goers, they, uh, they reduce their Christian experience to just like one hour, an hour and 10 minutes, because I'm just warning you now I'm going over today, all right? I'm going, it's going to be 10 after 12 when you get out. I have tried to preach this message on this theme probably 10 times in my pastoral ministry, and every time I, I just get a little frustrated with myself because it goes a little bit long. I'm sorry, it's just going to happen, okay? That's just the, the nature of the beast. That's what we're going to talk about today, because we are going to talk about using our Bibles and prayer to keep us strong 24-7, because this is the reason we're talking about it. We're not very good at it. Christians in America answer surveys anonymously and tell the truth about themselves, and the 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 data is in. About a third of regular churchgoers pray consistently, two, or read their Bibles consistently, two or more times a week. It's about a third of us. About a third of us read our Bible occasionally, like two or so times a month. And about a third of us who come regularly hardly read our Bible at all, a couple of times a year. And it's interesting because most of us would say the Bible is a really good book. The Bible is a great book. We love the Bible. We just don't read it. And it's hard to grow spiritually and be a Christian, a Christ follower, 24-7 if we don't learn to feed ourselves on God's Word. And that's a special challenge for me as your pastor because it would be very easy for me to kind of guilt you and sort of beat you up about it and put a lot of pressure on everybody here. And I've been through that before and that doesn't work either. Because then it just turns into, you know, one more thing I've got to do. And it, it becomes a burden instead of a blessing. Uh, you don't have to read the Bible. You get to. It, it is the living, active word of God. It is his love letter to you. And we have the privilege and the blessing, the opportunity to spend time hearing from him. So when I meet with the Lord on, in my time, people often say, well, Pastor, how do you know you're like hearing from God, not just sort of talking to yourself? And one of the practices that I have is to settle my spirit, get into a short passage of Scripture, invite the Lord to speak to me, and then when I start to pray, I try not to change the subject. That's the key. I try not to change the subject because I've got a million things I could put on my prayer list. Anybody here have a list? The, the people and the circumstances you typically pray about. And that's my instinct is when I'm starting to pray, I kind of go there, right? But if I continue to pray the word, pray what God said to me when I read the scripture, now I'm thinking his thoughts after him. Now he has a chance to say something to me that I might not have thought of on my own. Because I don't want to just think my own thoughts. I want to think God's thoughts. And he speaks to me through his word. So I encouraged you, if you're on my Friday email, to, uh, to bring your own Bible today, okay? So if you have it, would you take it out? 
hold it in your hand. If you didn't happen to bring a Bible with you, we brought one for you. In the pew in front of you, there are pew Bibles. They all match. Um, we have had two different kind, two different printings, so there were different page numbers and things. So we went through this week and made sure we got them all the same, okay? And we are going to start with Psalm 119. So how do you find the Psalms? Take your Bible. Come on, everybody. Co cooperate. Play along. Here we go. It won't be the same if you don't help, all right? Turn to the Psalms. Now, most of the time, the Psalms are almost exactly in the middle of your Bible. So take your Bible, turn them like that, find the middle. If you're in Proverbs or the Song of Songs, you got to go left. And if you're in Job, you got to go right, but you should be close, okay? Now, if you're using the Pew Bible, we're on page 610. And we are going to look at verse 16 of Psalm 119, which says, would you read it out loud with me? I delight in your decrees. I will not... We can do better than that. Let's read that one again, okay? I, in your... I will not neglect your word. The Hebrew word there for neglect is um, forget or to lay aside. I will not neglect your word. This is the longest psalm in the Bible, 178 verses, all divided into eight verse sections. If you look at, just look at it on the page, you'll see that every eight verses, there's a word. And many of you, if you're using the Pew Bible, you actually have the Hebrew letter. This is a poem that is an acrostic. So it's like A, B, C, D. Of course, it's in Hebrew, but it doesn't work in English. So the first word of every section in Hebrew is that letter. It starts with that letter. So it's an Aleph or a Beth or a Daleph. And every section celebrates the Bible. Something great about God's word. Because here's what the Jewish people have known for centuries. They are the chosen people. They are the people to whom God has spoken. Remember Moses? Went up on Mount Sinai and what did God give him? The ten, not the ten suggestions, the ten commandments, right? The ten, God has spoken to us. And we have his word. And of course, those of us who know uh, now that we have more than the scriptures of the Older Testament, we also have the, the New Testament. And so how much more should we celebrate and treasure the word of God? 22 verses in the Hebrew alphabet. There are 22 sections, eight verses each. And if you read through every one of them, somewhere in that section says, your law, your statutes, your word, how precious they are. God has given us his word. It's up to us to feed our souls, to seek his light, to allow the, the bread of God's word to nourish us and grow us. A few weeks ago, I introduced you to the Bible Project, the series of videos that teach the scriptures in a rather interesting and informative way. So I'd like you to take a look at this Bible project video about the Bible itself. Let's watch. The Bible. It's one of the most influential books in human history. 
It explores the big questions of why we exist. It's inspired many people to do amazing things. And confused many others. And you've probably got one sitting around somewhere. So, what is the Bible actually? Well, the Bible is a small library of books that all emerged out of the history of the people of ancient Israel. And in one sense, they were just like any other ancient civilization. But among them were a long line of individuals called prophets. And they viewed Israel's story as anything but ordinary. They saw it as a central part of what God was doing for all humanity. And these prophets were literary geniuses. Really? Yeah, they expertly crafted the Hebrew language to write epic narratives, very sophisticated poetry. They were masters of metaphor and storytelling, and they leveraged all of this to explore life's most complicated questions about death and life and the human struggle. So there's a lot of different authors writing this book. Yeah, and these texts were produced over a thousand year period, starting with Israel's origins in Egypt, then leading up to their kingdom with their first temple, but eventually they were conquered by the Babylonians who took them away into exile. Then, at a crucial moment in their history, many Israelites returned to their land. They built a second temple, they reformed their identity, and this is when the Jewish scriptures began to be formed into the shape that we have them today. Okay, the Jewish Bible, what's in it? Well, in Hebrew, it's called by an acronym, Tanakh. The T stands for Torah, sometimes called the law. That's Israel's five book foundation story. The N stands for Nevi'im, the Hebrew word for prophets. And this section consists of the historical books that tell Israel's story from the prophet's point of view. Then you get the poetic books of the prophets themselves. The K stands for Ketavim, the Hebrew word for writings. This is a diverse collection of poetic books, wisdom books, and more narrative. And the Jewish people believe that through all of these literary works, God speaks to his people. Now, there were other Jewish writings being produced during this Second Temple period as well. Yeah, a really diverse group of texts. And these two were highly valued in Jewish communities. And there was debate from ancient times about whether or not some of these should be considered part of their scriptures. So this is a lot of different writings over a long period of time. Why did they put them all together like this? Well, altogether, these texts tell an epic story about how God is working through these people to bring order and beauty out of the chaos of our world. And it all builds up to a hope for a new leader who would come and renew all creation. And then the Tanakh concludes, and this leader never comes. So it's an expertly crafted work, but it's missing an ending? That's exactly right. Now, a few centuries later, a Jewish prophet comes onto the scene named Jesus of Nazareth. He claimed he was carrying the Tanakh story forward. Yeah, so Jesus did a bunch of cool stuff was killed, but his followers claimed he was alive from the dead. Yeah, they said that Jesus was that long-awaited leader who would restore the world. And so his earliest followers, called apostles, they composed new literary works about the story of Jesus. They called these good news or the gospel. They formed an account called Acts about the spread of the Jesus movement outside of Israel. And then they circulated letters to different Jesus communities all around the ancient world. And they saw these writings as part of the scripture. Yeah, the apostles wrote all of this as the fulfillment of that epic story found in the Tanakh. And they were continuing the literary genius of the Jewish tradition. They also believed that God was speaking to his people through these texts alongside the scriptures of Israel. So that's the Old and New Testament. I think I got it. But how does a collection of books produced over a thousand years by all these different authors tell one unified story? Yeah, that's the question we'll address in our next video.
well, you have to wait for part two, the next video. You can check it out for yourself online. And uh, that's a helpful overview of the scriptures. We also have a printed one in everybody's program today. I hope you got one. If you didn't, there are many more of these available on the table, the first pop-up table um, as you go out these main doors here. And we also have free Bibles there. Maybe you have uh, a Bible, but not one that you use regularly. We have several uh, of the New International Version, really nice Bibles that uh, we'd like to give to anybody who needs one. But also you have this. Would you take it and look at it? This is a beautiful piece of work produced by our office. Linda Panchula does awesome stuff. And this looks like what? What does it look like? The periodic table, but it's the biblical table, all right? So if you look at it face on to the left, everything that's justified left is from the Older Testament. And so you have the first five books that were mentioned on the video, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and you have the abbreviations for them. You'll see in every square at the top, there's three sets of numbers. They're very tiny, but they are the number of chapters number at the top left, uh, the number of verses, the number at the top right, and the approximate date that they were written, the number just underneath. And then at the bottom it says who wrote it. Uh, and several books, especially in the Older Testament, are probably written by more than one person, but that's the dominant author. And so you have um, sections of the scripture, the historical books the poetical books, and down at the bottom, there's a key, right, that shows you which books go in which section, what the colors mean. Now, all the books that are justified right are the New Testament, and they start with the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and that they're in the same color. Then the book of Acts stands alone. Then you have Paul's letters. The next section down in this sort of uh, beigey, tan, color, mustard. Is that a good word for that? We'll call that. And then you've got the navy blue, starting with Hebrews, uh, letters by other authors, and then finally the book of Revelation. This is just so helpful. It's got so much information. Now, if you'd open it up, inside you have suggested guidelines on how to have a regular quiet time and to use your Bible during that time. And we're suggesting you might give it a try. And if you have a system that you use, that you love, that works for you, keep using it. If you're struggling at all, why not try this? And in fact, uh, it's called 555. Five minutes a day, five days a week, and five questions that you can ask as you read the scripture. So it's, it's something you can do alongside whatever else you're doing. And we're going to follow this pattern through to the end of the year. 73 days between now and the end of the year. And there's a, a scripture passage Monday through Friday for all the weeks from now to the end. And you'll notice they kind of jump around a little bit because we're going to be teaching from the book of Hebrews in about six weeks. And so Hebrews is included during that time. And we took the Gospels, the story of Jesus, and put them in December, close to Christmas, so you can read Matthew's Christmas story and Luke's Christmas story. So you can try it. See how God uses it in your life. The Bible says that it is special, that it is powerful. And the experience of Christians 
is that that is true. Uh, if you have your Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Uh, if you're using the Pew Bible, it's on page 1206. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is alive and active. What's the next sentence say, the next line? Sharper than, would you read out loud with me? Sharper than... Let's try that again. Sharper than any double-edged sword. What, what's a double-edged sword? It's like, <laughs> it's like dangerous, right? I mean, you've got to be careful with a double-edged sword. Did you know the Bible is not a, a, a nice, soft, easy thing? It is alive. It is powerful. It has the power of the Holy Spirit in it. Somebody told me once, you've got to take the cover of your Bible and put the word dynamite on it because it's dunamis. Is the power of God. And um, we'll more about that later, okay? Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Where's your marrow? In your bones, right? It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. There's nothing like God's word to speak powerfully and to to cut deeply and to probe into our deepest motives and thoughts. I don't know about you, but sometimes I think I'm right when I'm actually... When I'm actually wrong, right? I think I'm right, but I can be wrong. I, I think I'm doing the right thing or I have the right motives or the, the proper convictions, but I might be wrong. I might be slacking off and, and sort of justifying myself. I might be caught up in some kind of legalistic rule thing. And I think I'm making God happy by being religious. Wherever I am on the spectrum, I need the voice of God. I need the wisdom of God's spirit. I need the truth. I need the light to shine and show me the truth about myself. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So the Bible is valuable and precious. I was thinking this week about the fact that there have been hundreds of people who actually died, who were executed, martyred, so that I could have an English Bible. I mean, I was stopped to think about that. From about 500 A.D. to 1500 A.D., it was pretty much against the law for anybody to have a Bible that they could read. All the Bible, there weren't very many Bibles. They were um, printed by hand, by usually by like a monk in a cave with a, with a candle, right? And he would copy over the Latin text so they were scarce and they were incredibly valuable. Only the priest could have a copy. And the people couldn't read Latin so only he could read it to them. And then this amazing thing happened. The Spirit of God breathed into the church in Europe. And a man named Martin Luther said, that's not right. We ought to be able to read our Bible in our own language. And John Wycliffe said, I'm going to translate the Bible into English. And he risked his life and did it 
For that, he was executed. I was looking at the list. It's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. William Tyndall, James Brewer, John Rogers, Thomas Lytton, Thomas Bilney, John Tewksbury, Richard Bayfield, James Bainham, hundreds and hundreds of people who risked their lives so that I could have an English Bible, and yet I let it sit on the shelf. You know, I get so busy, I, I, I don't take time and make time some days. I wonder why they gave their lives, and I wonder what that says about me sometimes. But I don't want to just do it out of guilt. I don't want to do it because somebody else says I should read my Bible. I, I want to encounter Jesus. I want to meet with him. I want to hear from him. I want to be like him. How about you? And the best way for that to happen is for me to let him speak into my spirit. To do what the Bible says he can and will do. So the Bible is this precious gift. Josh McDowell, the Christian author who writes about apologetics, you know, the reasons to believe, he says, this is our book. In the Old Testament, it's the preparation for Jesus. The Gospels are the manifestation of Jesus. The book of Acts is the propagation of Jesus. The epistles are the explanation of Jesus. The book of Revelation is the consummation of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's his, his voice through which he speaks. It's a mirror that reflects. It's a sword that pierces. It's a seed that grows. It's a lamp that shines. It's a fire that burns. It's bread that feeds. It's water that washes. Now that's a fascinating image. Washed with water of the word by the Spirit. You know, I live in a world that is so crazy and mixed up. Wrong is right and right is wrong. Anybody? If I just ask popular opinion, I, I think it is so messed up, it seems to be getting worse, right? How do you sort it out? How do you think straight? You let the water of the word wash your mind. I love that. Wash your mind. Wash out the junk and clean, fresh, clear water from God to fill the place. It was the summer of 1993, and I decided as a pastor I needed some time to get away. The church I was leading in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada, said I could have a couple weeks off. So I went to Vancouver, British Columbia, to Regent University, and I took two classes, just audited the classes for fun. One of the classes was called Soulcraft, and it was taught by Eugene Peterson, the man who translated the message. Really incredible pastor and Bible scholar. And I got to take him to lunch. Uh, after class one day, I said, can, can I buy you lunch? <laughs> He's like, well, if I get to pick the place. I said, you're on. So we had Thai food, just in this little sort of greasy spoon off campus. And as we sat across the table and talked, uh, he told me about the book he was writing at the time. It's all about the Bible, and I have it on my shelf. The title of the book is 
eat this book. It comes from Revelation chapter 10 where the angel takes the scroll and gives it to John. He says, eat this book. And he said when he ate it, in his mouth it tasted sweet like honey. But when it went into his stomach, it was bitter and gave him an upset stomach. And Eugene Peterson said, that's just like the Bible. Everybody wants dessert all the time. Everybody wants to read a few verses that give them a happy thought. But you know what? Some of the times the Bible makes you have an upset stomach. It tells you the truth about yourself, right? It cuts to the attitude of our soul and our minds. So here's the deal. Sometimes you need to eat your vegetables. Anybody here hate broccoli? How about Brussels sprouts? Shall I keep going? So, but broccoli and Brussels sprouts are good for you, right? Uh, this is the living word of God. It is very good. There's nothing better to feed your soul. So here's what I do. I consistently try to find a place in God's word. I pray about it and I look for the right place. Now, if you open that folder, that uh, thing with the periodic Bible table on it, anyway, uh, inside there's a reading plan. And it starts tomorrow, and it has five minutes a day, five days a week, five questions to ask, and it starts with 1 John. And it's kind of funny, because earlier this week I was talking to Nancy about today's message, and she said, you know, Glenn, for like almost 40 years, every time anybody asks you where to read in the Bible, you tell them to read in 1 John. And I, I didn't tell her that the book, that the folder says 1 John. Why do I always say 1 John? Because it is the simplest, most concise explanation of the Christian faith. It's easy to read. It's straightforward, easy to understand. So there's five chapters in 1 John. If you read a chapter a day, every day this week, we'll do it together. Online, if you're one of those online people, uh, Uversion has a great reading plan that follows the same exact pattern. Um, it's called Deeper into Scripture. And so if you if you look under you version, look under plans, deeper into scripture, 1 John. That'll be this week. Then we go to the Gospel of John, 22 days. Uh, reading through the, or 20, which is it? Somebody help me out. What does it say on there? How many chapters in John? It's on there. It's on here. It's on It's right on here. 21. Right? I'm looking at the preacher over here. Am I right? All right. So 21 days in John, then where are we going after that? We're going to Hebrews because that will fit in with our coming up series on Hebrews. Okay? Like I said earlier, if you have a better plan, use the better plan. I like this plan better than the plan you're not using. Okay? I like this plan better than the plan you're not using. And we can do this together and we can see what God does. And we can eat this book. I don't know if you were here last Sunday, but I closed the message by saying, just imagine what it would be like at Thanksgiving. November 22nd, I think it is this year. To look back to today and say, wow, I'm getting stronger. I'm growing deeper. I'm more like Jesus than I was in September. Because I took some time and I met with the Lord, and I listened to his word, and I fed my soul, and I grew some roots. <laughs> and 
something's happening to me. And it's only God. It's only God. Let's do it together. Now, the last thing on your insert there is the acts of prayer, A-C-T-S. I don't have time to really unpack all of that. I simply want to say that if you kind of are a little frustrated with your prayer life, I don't know about you, but sometimes I say, I'm going to pray. And then when I get to my prayer time, my mind gets up and runs around like a five-year-old. And I think of stuff. Have you ever seen a dog that's about to lay down, do this thing, right? And I'm doing this thing. I'm going around. I'm thinking of people and situations and places, and I'm all stirred up, right? My spirit gets all stirred up, and I have to say, Lord, would you calm my heart? Would you calm my mind? I'm going to read your word, and then I'm going to pray. And this little acrostic just works for me. And if it can work for you, give it a shot. Lord, I love you. I worship you. I praise you. There is no God like you. God, I need you. I am a sinner. I have said and done things I shouldn't have just in the last 24 hours, and I'm so sorry. I don't want to rush to my shopping list. I want to take time at his feet. And God, I'm so thankful. I take for granted so many of the blessings of my life. And Lord, you know the people that need prayer today. Will you pray with me right now? Lord God, we together as your church adore your holy name. Holy Father, Holy Savior, Holy Spirit. We are in awe of you. We humble ourselves. We bow before you. You are high and lifted up. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. Heaven and earth are full of your glory. And when we meet with you in our prayer time, Lord, help us to see you for who you really are. And Lord, you know that we are fallen, broken, sinful people. Help us not to pretend that we're better than we are. Help us to admit to you that we need the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse us from all sin. If we confess our sins, you are faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. So thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness and the grace that you provide through the cross of Jesus Christ and his payment. We claim the forgiving grace of Jesus right now. Lord, we thank you for the blessings of this life, for our families, for freedom, for an incredible country to live in and work in, for the place we live, for the things we have, for the strength, the intelligence, the ability to do a job. It all comes from you. We are so thankful, thankful, thankful. up in your heart to the Lord people and things for which you are thankful and Lord God help us to meet you I can only imagine you waiting to meet us and there are days I stand you up 
God like you would keep coming back and back and back. And so, Lord, on those days, we remember you. May you feed us, correct us, strengthen us, deepen us, Thank you.